Now, since it was first established during the Napoleonic Wars, Ordnance Survey has recorded in great detail every square metre of the British landscape, and it updates those records with around 5,000 changes every day. But as it faces ever-increasing competition from internet mapping and demands to release its data for free, what does the future hold for the UK's National Mapping Agency? Mike Parker investigates in today's On the Map. No surprise, I'm back in Stanford's, London's long-established emporium of all things cartographic. And though I've got the whole world to choose from, I just can't help making a beeline for my first love, the section devoted to the good old British Ordnance Survey map. And the very first one I bought, I'm just looking for it now, it's number 113. 113, there it is, Grimsby. Not because I lived in Grimsby. In fact, uh, I was growing up in Worcestershire, but uh, I was fascinated by the shape and the look of Spurn Head, that strange protuberance out into the mouth of the River Humber. Uh, and so I bought a map to uh, have a closer look at it. It wasn't really a very normal hobby for a seven or eight-year-old to be collecting OS maps. Uh, and I do remember taking one into school. It might well have been the Grimsby one, actually. I'm proudly unfurling it to all my mates. Uh, and there was this sort of stunned silence, and then... Some little voice at the back just piped up, Where's Kitty on that then? Uh, and I had to point out to them that there were indeed maps of the world that Kidderminster wasn't part of. And I think it was a bit of a shock to them, to be honest. Three and a half decades later, my love affair with Ordnance Survey maps continues as shamelessly as ever. And I'm most definitely not alone. Down in the Stanford's basement, on the other side of a sea of bright pink and orange map covers, I find Martin Greenaway. Like a fine Savile Row tailor, he can even offer you a bespoke service, printing out Land Ranger and Explorer maps centred on wherever you like. No longer does anyone have to live in a fold or on the edge. Just looking upstairs, actually, some other maps from other countries. I mean, and it is hard not to feel smug and... Absolutely, yeah. And say we have got the best, but we have. do you think we have? We have, actually, yes. I mean, there are a lot of uh, countries out there that have got good survey. The French, IGN are very good. Oh, their maps are uh, horrible. I've been looking at them. They're awful. They're pretty... They're, they're good, but they're, they're, they're more difficult to, to read, I think. There's, there's no question about it. The Ordnance Survey are pretty good. But, but you either look at other countries, uh, Spain or Italy, and uh, it's pretty much non-existent, their mapping. It's very much out of date. And, of course, other countries like America and Canada, they're so vast, these countries, that they can't update them as we do. So their maps are very much out of date and um, they're not that fantastic either. Mm. But, no, Britain, British Ordnance Survey is, without a question, about the best in the world. We're well aware of what the public think of the mapping. We, we, it's, in, in many ways, the public own our mapping, the Explorer and the Land Ranger. And well betide us if we do something they don't like. You know, there's, there's questions asked in the House of Commons, House of Lords, I believe, if we're going to do something with a map that the public doesn't like. They own the, they own the map, not Ordnance Survey. It's quite strange. Bob Lilly, head of cartography at Ordnance Survey's headquarters in Southampton, is well aware of how deeply rooted the organisation is in the British psyche. Rather like Radio 4, if he tinkers around with it too much, there'll be trouble. So looking at, we've got the paper map here, the Land Ranger map, uh, of this part of the world. This is number 196. Southampton, Portsmouth, Solent. It's a lot on this map, actually. You've got the whole of the Isle of Wight. Um, is there a danger? I mean, I'm looking at it now. I'm just seeing... 
you know, the, these there's quite a lot of blobs and and hatches and diamonds and in various different colours. Is there a danger that, that they are getting a bit overcluttered, perhaps? I, I don't think so, personally. Uh, some people do accuse them of being overcluttered. Uh, and that's where the, the beauty of online mapping comes in and where, where you can start selecting stuff. Um, but I, I like them, I love them, because th there's so much to explore. Mm. Now, you open up a map and somebody says, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a passport to exploration, really. There's so much to view on a map. If you're going to visit Southampton, pull out a Land Ranger map or an Explorer map, and you can almost visit Southampton before you go. You can yeah. pick things out. It's just so, I, I like the detail, but that's yeah. perhaps the nature of me more than, than anybody else. Despite the fact that it's what made them famous, paper maps only account for 8% of Ordnance Survey's income. The other 92% comes from the digital data which they provide under licence, that is sell, to commercial companies and other government departments. People are using our data in so many different ways. They may be using it within their business environment. They perhaps are in a call centre where the, um, somebody rings in and instantly the mapping for the relevant area comes up on, on screen to the call centre operator. Vanessa Lawrence is Director General of Ordnance Survey. We see people having mapping on mobile phones, in-car navigation systems, and a vast amount of that is coming from Ordnance Survey. We see mapping on the internet, including from companies like Google, and that is underpinned by some data through a partner from Ordnance Survey. And all of these ones we've had to try and make sure that um, there is uh, uh, protection of the asset of the database because we need to continue to invest in the quality of the data in order to continue to meet the customer's needs. And um, these were the arguments that were being given right back in, I believe it was the 1830s. Now, when Vanessa Lawrence says protection of the asset, what she means is copyright. In the 19th century, commercial mapmakers were free to take OS maps, copy and adapt them, and sell them as their own product. Indeed, they were positively encouraged to do so. But in the early years of the 20th century, OS began to realise that they shot themselves in the foot, both feet in fact, and set about restoring their supremacy. This they did through a series of copyright acts which ensured that anybody who wanted to use Ordnance Survey data would have to pay for it. And that's a situation that's existed for the best part of a century and will continue to do so until, well, funnily enough, midnight tonight. But more of that later. Over the years, Ordnance Survey and other mapmakers have guarded their copyright jealously. You might imagine that it's easy to copy a map and pass it off as your own work. After all, it's just the lie of the land. If somebody copies our mapping, there are ways in which you can compare somebody's work with ours and see that it's been copied. Because, to be fair, um, if you asked ten different cartographers to generalise the same piece of landscape, you'll probably get, you certainly would get ten different results. So we, we can identify where people have copied it through, through just straightforward comparison. Maybe the shape of a road or a river, that sort of thing, and the, the relationship between the two, it can be spotted. So basically you're saying if you're going to copy Ordnance Survey maps, just be a bit cleverer. <laughs> you'll, have um, to be very, you'll have to move everything, so you just as well go out and survey it yourself. <laughs> I grew up in an era when we used to exchange tapes at school of music 
Um, and, um, you know, Elton John had a new record out. Somebody bought the record and everyone taped it. And none of us even thought about that we were breaking copyright. What amazed me was when I came to Ordnance Survey, the tremendous sort of revolution that was going on about people realising that in order for information to be uh, up to date and maintained, there had to be an income for it. And so it had to be licensed. And for certain things, there had to be a price as well. And um, I have seen a, a real wish from people who use our data to use licensed information. You can't help feeling that that wish to use licensed data is in no small part due to Ordnance Survey's energetic legal pursuit of those who infringe its copyright. However, the late-night knock-on-the-door by the men in black from OS could soon be a thing of the past. I'm Charles Arthur and I'm the technology editor at The Guardian and a co-founder of the Free Our Data movement. The impetus behind the Free Our Data campaign came from the fact that government collects large amounts of data which it then effectively sells back to us. Ordnance Survey operates as what's called a trading fund, which means it's, it's like a sort of little self-contained business that is wholly owned by government and it charges for licences to use its maps and then it gives some of the money back to central government. But actually the fact is that Ordnance Survey makes about half of its money from government itself, so it's government charging itself for something that it collects anyway. Um, this doesn't make sense to us. We reckon that if you make this data free, if you allow people to use maps for free for any sort of use, for uh, commercial use, non-commercial use, whatever, then you build the economy because people do new things with them. The licensing model is broken because it restricts the use of the maps from people who might just have a really good idea but can't quite get the money together to go with the licensing. Or even Ordnance Survey just says, well, we don't, we don't approve of your idea that you have for it. If, if people are, have to go through that sort of sanction over time, it doesn't encourage the really innovative ideas that you need. That's the argument that Charles Arthur and the Free Our Data movement have been making in the four years since the campaign started. And it looks like somebody's been listening. In January, we launched data.gov.uk. Now, that's a single, easy-to-use website to access public data. Even in the short space of time since then, the interest this initiative has attracted globally has been incredibly striking. In November of last year, the government launched a public consultation on various options for making Ordnance Survey's data free to use. And this was the Prime Minister speaking at the beginning of last week about Britain's digital future. Following the strong support in our recent consultation, I can confirm that from 1st April, we're making the substantial package of information held by Ordnance Survey freely available to the public without restriction on reuse. So, as of tomorrow, the doors will be thrown open and Ordnance Survey's mapping data will be free for anybody and everybody to use. Or rather, some of it will. Boundary information and postcodes, for example. But OS will still retain its rights on other data. Nevertheless, this will all have a substantial effect on Ordnance Survey's income. Tomorrow, Director General Vanessa Lawrence will find herself running a whole new business model. The use of mapping is evolving so fast and what is a suitable data set that is given away today may not be suitable for the applications in five years' time. 
and we've got to be able to evolve those products and very clearly make sure we have suitable investment um, within this new model that will be uh, potentially part of it state funded uh, to make sure we have sufficient investment to make those changes that customers will require, whether they've paid for the data or whether they haven't. This is a, this is a change. And, um, you know, government is clear uh, and the staff uh, at Ordnance Survey are very clear that sus the sustainability of Ordnance Survey to be an effective national mapping agency is the most important thing. And my concern is that one of the first casualties of Ordnance Survey's bright new digital business model will be my beloved paper maps. Well, I put that concern to Vanessa. Her reply was simultaneously a reassurance a warning and a sharp lesson in the economics of map making. Where do people mainly buy the paper maps? They buy them in the areas which they do most leisure. Mm. And um, they're the areas uh, that are economic to produce and all the other areas are not so economic to produce. There are some sheets that sell less than 50 copies a year. Yeah. However, we have taken made a commitment just to ourselves, to make sure the paper maps are um, updated and uh, we also make sure they're always in stock. There are many countries where, unfortunately, due to changes within government's decision-making, they've stopped paper mapping. A good example was Iceland. It was stopped uh, a few years ago. It was thought that the private sector would take up the opportunity to uh, provide the paper mapping but in fact there is uh, hardly any paper maps now available except for the most popular leisure areas but if you want to go and travel around Iceland with a paper map it's more difficult. And in tomorrow's programme, Mike Parker examines the digital alternatives to paper maps. He asks whether internet cartography is actually wiping large amounts of British history and geography off the map. And he explores the part that open source mapping played in relief efforts after January's earthquake in Haiti. On the Map is produced in Wales by Jeremy Grange.